Hey, I'm Daniela. Welcome to my podcast, because everyone has a story. The place to give ordinary people's stories the chance to be shared and preserved. Our stories become the language of connections. Let's enjoy it, connect and relate, because everyone has a story. Welcome. October has been a time to acknowledge domestic violence survivors and be a voice for its victims since 1989 in the U.S. Although there has been substantial progress in reducing domestic violence, an average of 20 people are physically abused by intimate partners every minute. This equates to more than 10 million abuse victims annually. My guest, Agape Garcia. Over the past 35 years, Agape has navigated through domestic violence, privacy, safety, vulnerability, and the mindset to endure personal adverse events in life. Agape is the executive director of Confronting Domestic Violence, Inc., helping real victims with real-time resources. Be your incredible self, best describe Agape's tenacious attitude towards empowering herself and others. Her story exemplifies of the possibility of the resilient human spirit and the importance of how our community or village can help us survive and strive. Agape also explains what post-traumatic growth or PTG is versus post-traumatic disorder. Let's enjoy and learn from Agape's story. Welcome, Agape, to the show. I am super excited that you're here. When we met, you were so full of energy and so vibrant. You learn Spanish and you have this amazing accent that I love. Say something in Spanish, Agape. Ah, que tu quieres que yo So, bienvenida, Agape. Gracias por tenerme aquí. Muy bien. Agape, I know you have a story that you want to share with us. Tell us why you want to share the story. Well, the reason why I want to share the story is because so many people are aware of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. People talk about it all the time. There's so many of us that go through it. We all know the effects. Everybody hears about the detriments that it causes mentally, emotionally, physically. And there's not enough people that understand what PTG is. And when I say understand, I mean, no, a lot of people don't even know what PTG is. What PTG is, is post-traumatic growth. It's fairly new. It's not like it's been around for centuries. I was actually brought up in the early 90s by psychologists Richard Tchecki and Lawrence Calhoun. Based on an abundance of my own personal research and even what an actual doctor <laughs> defined my character as, my personal definition is a positive psychological change or shift more so that individuals can experience after a life crisis or traumatic event. Wouldn't you call that like you're resilient to a situation versus somebody not? Yes, for resilience, absolutely. But it's also what you're doing with that. Like I said, it's more of that shift that happens after the, the psychology of it. Sometimes people stay in the space of that event. It's hard for them to get over that event or through that time of that event. It's very much so replayed over and over and over and is very consuming. So it takes the mindset to get beyond that event and get beyond all of those, I don't want to say flashbacks, but living in that, that consumption of living there. That's when that shift takes place. 
And from that shift, you grow. And when that shift happens, you feel confident, you have energy, you're, you're much more clearer, your belief system changes. And so does your walk because your walk follows what you believe. Aha, uh-huh, that sounds really interesting. You're saying that this is something that some people get PTSD after a traumatic event and some people get PTG. So you you and I could have the same situation and I could get PTSD and you get PTG or, or, or you get PTSD and then you could move towards PTG. Right. You go through the trauma first and there's always post-traumatic stressors that come in no matter what. How do you get through and beyond that space and what you do with it after you get through and beyond that space. Okay, that sounds super interesting, but let's go back into when does your story start? When does my story start? Okay, my story started in my later 20s. I swore I had my stuff together. I was a single mom. I was in school. I was working full time. I was taking care of of my daughter on my own, paying my own bills. I had the right support system. Like everything was fantastic. You couldn't tell me anything. A little did I know, right? I was dating a man that turned serious. We ended up pregnant. There was an extension, an offer extended to him to move out of state. And then of course that was presented to me was, you know, respectful as to everything that I had going on, family, friends, the support system, just everything. I would be leaving everything voluntarily. We were not married yet. So the options were there for me. You know, what did I want to do? I ended up saying that, yes, of course, (laughs) I will go. He went first. Where were you going? Across country. So he went first. There was something that was happening fairly quickly. So he went first. I flew out a couple of times so we could find a place and free on where we wanted to have the kids and whatnot. I was fine with that because I needed to give notice and I wanted to finish out my semester and then of course leave when my child was in one of her breaks. I packed my stuff and I ended up driving those thousands of miles, me and my daughter and a good friend. When I finally got to my destination, it was going to be three weeks before my belongings arrived. So I took those three weeks to make sure that transitioned my child into the new school and figured out my new doctors and meet them and just very, you know, life focused on trying to make sure that I had everything in place. So by the time, you know, my belongings had got there, I would be able to kind of nest. I was already seven months pregnant, seven, seven months pregnant. <laughs> So it took about three weeks for my stuff to arrive. When it did, I was very excited. I was unpacking and trying to find a space for everything. And I found belongings of another woman under the sink. And I was very assumptuous. I didn't want to be that way. I had to figure out how was I going to address this? Just kind of started going back through messages and conversations and thinking like, did did he have family here? Did I remember friends or a party even? Like somebody just left their stuff or, you know, like, and if they did, why is it enough valuable enough to hold on to? Why wouldn't it have been tossed out? Just a lot of random things. All I could feel is my heart pounding through my chest. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's not a good feeling. I understand that. Yeah. I had just left everything voluntarily. Are you kidding me? And I've been so laser focused on, you know, settling in so we could have the future. So yes, it was a very long day. It's very hard to hold it in, but I did. I waited for that evening after dinner and bath and cleanup and all that kind of stuff. I waited for my child to fall asleep. That's when I said, you know, we need to have a conversation. Uh, we were in the living room on the couch. I said, I found I found belongings of another female under the sink. And I would like to know who does this stuff belong to? 
uh, he said, why are you going through my stuff? And I said, well, let me repeat myself. As I'm putting my belongings away, I found remnants of another woman and I'm asking who does it belong to? So before I was able to finish that question, I was already on the floor. He was sitting on top of my pregnant stomach. I was eight months at this time. So he was straddled on top of my stomach and he had his left hand around my throat while his right fist, well, his right hand was closed fist punching me over and over and over. I can recall scuffling, you know, like I'm just like wiggling, trying to, you know, trying to get out. I'm, that's all I, I remember in that moment. And then I heard my baby's voice, mom, mom. And when that registered to my brain, I felt this rush of adrenaline and my feet slammed on the floor and my neck was used as a kickstand and my hips were thrusted to the ceiling to get him off of me. I popped up. I don't even know how I popped up and grabbed my baby by the time she got to the bottom of the stairs and out the door we ran just like that. Wow. Yes. I'm speechless. <laughs> So it's, um, you know, about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and I'm out there barefoot and, and she's in her pajamas, my, my daughter. And I saw a neighbor with the light on and I knocked on the door, rang the doorbell. I'm like gushing everywhere, you know, just with tears. He was hitting me like behind my ear, like on my ear and behind my ear. So it wasn't on my face, you know, it was, it was almost looking back like he knew. You know, I'm knocking on the door. They let me in. I'm using their phone. I can't recall where, you know, where my child was at the time. I really don't know. I was just on the phone. And after I hung up with the police, just crying, I'm, I'm trying to grasp reality. Like, is this, this is serious. This is, this is my life right now. Like what in the world am I supposed to do? What am I going to do? I don't even know. Is my unborn baby? Okay. I need, I need to be concerned with my child who's out here right now. Like, I don't know the laws. I just got here. I know that he's going to be taken away for sure. I didn't know that I had marks that they were able to see right away it was it was he was close fist punching me of course all they did was pull my ear back and it was all right there so he was taken but I wasn't sure if he was going to come out that night I had no idea what to expect I just knew that I needed to make sure that I protected my kids I'm out here in this foreign space I have no idea where anything or anyone is other than the doctors and the stores and the schools because I've only been out here three weeks it was the most unimaginable. After I knew that he was taken and removed, I ended up going back. I barricaded the door with every piece of furniture that I was able to move <laughs> on my own. And I just, you know, talked to my daughter about fun escape route. It was, it was fun. <laughs> I didn't sleep at all that night. I stayed up doing a lot of research, finding out based on where I was, what were the laws, what, what could I do? How am I supposed to fight for my life right now? What am I even going to do with my life? How am I going to handle this? I, I need to take my, my baby to school. The next day I need her to stay like as normal as possible. Meantime, I'm going to go check myself in uh, at ER to see, you know, what's going on with my unborn child. Who am I going to talk to, to see like, if I don't get out in time, who's going to pick up my daughter? Like it was so much, <laughs> you know? So I was like, everything was by the clock. Like every single second was accounted for. And I knew that she had uh, only three more weeks before she was getting out for summer break. I only had four more weeks before I was having my baby. I had literally three weeks to figure my whole entire life out. I ended up finding out that he was going to be there and uh, retained until he took the court date. I knew that I had enough time to figure out the next four weeks of my life. And I say four weeks, but remember I had no job. I left voluntarily. 
I basically every everything that I had saved up was for the move, and then what the and then of course what the baby needed. Uh, we were not married. We did not have a shared account. I was flat out. <laughs> okay, seeing that, so I would have to say that that's where my story began. Very stressful to go through something like that on your situation, pregnant with a little girl. And, you know, in a different place that just wasn't, not, you didn't know. So it, it must have been really hard. It feels like that you also were a very strong woman already. Like you, you know, you were raising already your child at 20 years old and having a job and everything was good. And so you've always been very resourceful yourself already. Well, thank you. And I will have to say that came from my childhood. My mom abandoned me when I was a toddler. My sister that was a year younger than me passed away very shortly after she left. My dad was quote unquote stuck with me at that point. You know, he had just lost his baby daughter and and he just his wife just ran off with another man. The way he coped with it was, you know, not the best for me, anyways. And little did I know at that time that every possible void of a child is what I had inherited at that moment. I didn't I didn't know that then. Of course I know it now. Not having a mom and then kind of just having a checked out dad. And when I say checked out dad, I mean working third shift and sleeping all day. Working third shift means that's when you're eating, that's when you're socializing, that's when you're hydrating. And when you're sleeping all day, you're not doing any of those things. So for me, mowing lawns, cleaning houses, pulling weeds, washing cars, having a newspaper route, those were the things I did to go to the grocery store. When I was in grammar school, uh, the cemetery was closer to the grammar school than than my house. So that's where I spent a lot of time doing homework and bonding. That's the only place I knew where I could have a real bond. In the cemetery? And bond with whom? My, my sister who passed away. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Wow. Yeah. So I became very independent at a very young age. I learned quickly that there was things I could do after school to not be home. <laughs> there was places like the park to do wood shop or gymnastics or whatever to not be home. It was anything to not be home. As you get older, you're, you're invited to people's houses. And so, you know, that's where I would spend most of my time as well. As long as I was home in enough time to wake him up for work, I was good. Mm, wow. Not an easy life for a child. Yeah. No. And then in my teenage years, I dropped out as a sophomore. I, I didn't grow up in the best neighborhood. I grew up in the hood. I was pregnant by 16. That was a very violent relationship as well. We were very physical uh, with each other. It wasn't until my daughter was born that I said, no, no more, no mas. I am not doing this. I was raised around and in violence all my life. I will not do this with my child. I will be everything my mother wasn't. You were raised in a very difficult situation, but again, you were very resilient and resourceful. Tell me more about the hood. How was that? So I will have to say that, you know, if it wasn't for all my Puerto Rican mothers that took me in and they get so mad, not them, but the cousins, you know, they get upset because I say, your mom brought in all the strays. You know, if it, if it wasn't for her having the heart to bring in the strays, you know, I would not be here. I really say that the Lord restores tenfold. You know, maybe what you thought you didn't have, you have so much more of. I'm telling you that to this day, those are my mommies. I love them with all my heart. We get together every single year, all of us in one location. We visit each other all the time. They taught me how to, yeah, 
me enseñé cómo a bailar, cómo a pelear, cómo a hablar, cómo mirar todo en todo lado, a I mí mean, la cocinar, hacer sofrito, todo, a la dar a los nenes, everything. That's nice. Yes, I can imagine. Yeah, if it was not for them and in that environment where you had to be pendiente de todo, I don't think I would have had the strength to make it in that condition that I ended up in thousands of miles away from where I was raised and what I knew and everybody that, you know, we have each other's back. Are you kidding? <laughs> you know, and that's how it is to be in a place that I'm by myself mm -hmm. and too embarrassed to even call and be like, mira todo lo que pasó. <laughs> there's no way there was embarrassment. I was ashamed. I was more probably embarrassed when, you know, it's, when you grow up in that type of environment, it's prideful. We are very prideful. <laughs> and you didn't see any signs of that guy having those reactions. Absolutely not. How long were you with him to not even have any signs before? Mm -hmm. So it was close to two years. No, we had arguments, of course. And I will be transparent and tell you that I had a friend of mine, an older friend that I love to death. You know, she's like 20 years older than me. And she said, Agape, if you do not have a real blowout type of argument, you're not going to know his real temper. Ella me dijo. And I was like, Okay, I got you. I'm I'm actually kind of upset about something, so I don't have no problem doing that. And I did. I mean, dropped off his stuff, put put all his stuff in bags, dropped it off where where he was at, and it was a full blown out thing. There was no sign of violence. There was anger. There was triggers. There was things that, of course, you get to learn about somebody, you know, con tiempo. But violence like that, like that, to almost kill your own baby. Wow. Well, and then what happened? Tell me more. What happened then? You you called, you were there trying to figure it out. Now you think that you wanted to go back. Never. Go back to what? Back to where you're living before. I chose not to do that. I stayed stranded. A couple of reasons why. That night, of course, I'm crying in prayer, crying. What is this? Why is this? I can't was. The next morning or day or whatever, maybe when I was in the hospital and I found out that my baby was okay, but I'm high risk that I was like, okay, you love me so much that you gave me a percentage of the pain and suffering that you went through, a percentage. So I'm going to take that as love. You're, you're working with me, on me, through me, something, something that gave me, I don't even know how or what came over me. But during that prayer, I knew that yo tenía una fuerza of the spirit. And I was at that point so adamant and laser focused on taking care of protecting and providing for my children that I knew that there would be a way because of everything that I went through back home. I knew how to stand in line for food stamps. I knew how to stand in line to get assistance. I knew to say that I was going to be homeless and that I needed to find some sort of affordable shelter. I can also say that you don't get that right away. It takes a long time. <laughs> it, it wasn't given to me like that. It wasn't. I had to rent a room a room for me and my two kids. It took up until I was able to take my son to daycare for him to be those three months to take him to daycare for me to, to start working. I never even had the time to emotionally take it in. Everything was about how can I make sure that my daughter is not impacted? How can I make sure that my son is born okay? How can I make sure that I'm healing all right to be okay for them, to provide and protect them? And how do I keep my finger on the pulse to understand what's going on with him? And I did show up to court. I did testify. I was not all confident there. I was confident up until I saw him walk into the courtroom. Then I was like, I shrunk like a punk. 
How? I don't know. I was intimidated. This man almost took my life and my own son's life, his own son's life. Regardless, it still ended up in my favor. That gave me more time to figure things out. To even imagine having to go through that pregnant, and then I did talk the doctors into giving me a, you know, a C-section a week prior to his due date so he could not deal with all my stress. And I was carrying boxes, taking stuff to storage, whatever I could carry. Maybe my water will break, just anything to take him out of my pain. And then whatever I couldn't pick up, I just left behind or sold as long as I had a blow up mattress. I got, but in the States, you do have to pay for birth delivery. How do you do that? I was on what's called Medicaid. So Medicaid is where you get the aid for medical care. I qualified for all that because I was pregnant and I had arrived with nothing. I had gave up my job to move out, to, out there. And it's also very good in Canada too. There's a lot of resources, but you do need to be wise how to be able to reach out and, and use them. And some people don't even know. So you, you were very resourceful again. Well, I will tell you that I... As it relates to the resourcefulness, I believe it was desperation. I believe that it was not just survival and laser focus. It was sincere desperation because I was all that I had and I was all that they had. I was desperate to make sure that they had what they needed because there was no way that they were going to be without under my care. I am not any one of my parents. And that was my like hardcore commitment and the way that these Puerto Rican mothers raised me to be. There's no way. I was probably on my 1006th phone call before I found somebody. And that was somebody that said, I have a referral for you. And that was the thousand and sixth time I heard, I have a referral for you. Because the 1-800 number is another referral to another 1-800 number. And that 1-800 number is another referral. And it's a vicious cycle. I will have to say today that the National Domestic Violence Hotline is definitely a resourceful number. It's 1-800-799-SAFE. <laughs> they, I don't think that they had that back then. Or if they did, you know, it was nowhere where it is today. And I've tested the system because I'm doing a lot of different trainings for people who want to become certified in being domestic violence resourced. I vet these places to make sure that they are providing real-time resources for real-time victims. Great. Tell me more. What happened then? So you were there, you, you find all resources, you got into, you had a room rented and... Every day just seemed like a very long day and figuring it out. It was probably the most stressful time in my life from the moment of that attack all the way up until I will say today. <laughs> I don't want to talk so much about that side of being stuck in that PTSD. I want to move into how our responses are to, you know, traumatic experience and how we're triggered by it. And, you know, some of the things that we can do to overcome, because I think all of us have trauma in our life. And I'm not sure how to measure anybody's trauma compared to somebody else's. We all receive it and we all respond to it differently. Yes. The one thing that we all have in common collectively is better coping skills. We could do better every day. I think that that's where the PTG comes into play. Yes, you're right. I know that that's something that was inside of me before I even knew that it was an actual thing. And I say that because when you have nothing but yourself and you have to think for yourself, talk 
to yourself, figure stuff out for yourself because the resources, financial resources are not there. You need to be your own advocate. You need to have your head screwed on straight because if you're not thinking logically, your results are not going to be beneficial to you or whoever you're responsible for. And did you meet a lot of people like you during this time? No, <laughs> I am right now because I'm starting to come out with my story and I'm starting to build a nonprofit and I'm starting to provide these programs and one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm a certified high performance coach and I use those pillars of life and include the life coaching and include my wisdom and my experience and everything that I've learned along my journey over the past 20 years. And that's what people get from me as it relates to that post-traumatic growth and getting beyond the trauma. During this time that you were maybe lining up for coupons or for food, that you never met other moms like in the same situation as you? Yes and no. I met with those other moms when I was trying to be a part of group stuff that they have. You know, when I say they have, I mean 1-800 numbers <laughs> or, or your community. But when, when I was sitting there, I couldn't sit there for long because I wasn't in the same space as a lot of these other people. They have families, they have friends, they have support. Yo no tenía nada. Um, my kids are on my mind. I got things to do. I cannot sit here and be like overwhelmed with my emotions. I got to keep it moving because staying in that emotional state is not going to help me get to where I need to go. So where I need to go is beyond talking about that day in my life. That was a chapter in my life. And even though it was still very recent, it still had to be something that I marked as the past. Because if I continued living there, if I continued staying there, I was not going to be able to move forward. It would be impossible. And that, and I'm talking about this was, you know, during pregnancy, after pregnancy, I've tried it. I just, I don't know if it's a tolerance or if it's, I, I can't, I can't explain it. I really can't. Yes, there was a lot of women in there under the same umbrella as being victimized, dealing with trauma. I had to work through mine and protect and provide for my kids. And they were not in that type of environment. I feel that you're different, that some other people will have turn into alcohol or leave their kid. People will have reacted differently. I think a lot is who you are and how you came to this world. You're so sweet. I appreciate it. I hear all the time that a lot of people would have jumped off the bridge by now. <laughs> and, and listen, I'll tell you that even though I say like I had to classify it as something in the past, even when it was very recent, to this day, I still am affected. I had to have neck surgery. Three discs I had bulging and herniated. And I know that it was from that night saving our lives. Even though it was 10 years later, I know that it was from that night because I was not involved in any kind of other traumatic situation that I had to use my neck. And then my hips. My hips. I had three surgeries on my hips. Wow. Yeah, three. Because every single one of them was a problem, by the way. So, And I know that it was because that night I had to use that part of my body to fight for our survival. So that adrenaline that flew through me to give me the strength that I needed in my exact spots, hay un precio que me tenía que pagar después. That has to come out of my pocket. I'm the one that's suffering for that physically, mentally, emotionally, knowing where it came from. It's it's more added trauma. You know, my kids have to watch me go through that. Did I share that that's what it was from? But I knew. I knew. Just recently, I was in a, in a terrible car accident that I only had a 1% chance to survive. I was in the ICU and rehab for a very long time. I'm still supposed to be in rehab right now. Terrible accident. The accident was because, let me tell you why first, so everybody who's listening can 
just not repeat what I did. So basically I had something on the passenger seat. The road is a little curvy. And when I went through one of the curves, what was on the passenger seat was getting ready to fall. So I had this knee jerk automated response to grab it. My left hand is on the steering wheel and my body is going to the right to grab the falling soup. When I'm doing that, your left hand automatically jerked the steering wheel to the left. I did not know any of this until I called the insurance agency and they were the one told me this is a very common accident that occurs, but it's usually a head-on collision because you're going to the opposite side of the road. I didn't hit anybody. I hit a tree. When I went up the center median, I knew that that's what was happening. So I was trying to pull myself up and I wasn't able to pull myself up in enough time. And what happened while I'm trying to pull myself up and hit the brakes, I'm actually hitting the gas. So I was even going faster. Ended up hitting the tree at about 60 miles an hour, maybe a little less. I don't know. I don't know. The person that was coming the opposite direction was only about 20 seconds behind the impact of me hitting the tree. And that gentleman got out was holding my head. He was the first person on the scene and he held my head until the ambulance got there. I do not remember much of anything. I remember waking up in the ambulance for a minute. I felt scissors and I knew that my clothes were being cut off, but that's all I remember. Fast forwarding to, I don't remember when I woke up. I just knew that I was in the hospital. I It took them a whole entire week to find all of my problems. You know, it was a very long time I was in ICU. These are back-to-back surgeries, just the emotional and mental, like having to wrap your head around the reality. Again, I just knew that I was saved. What in the world was I saved for is what my mission became to figure out. Every doctor, every physical therapist, any therapist actually that had to come in every hour or every half an hour to come and see me, they all wanted me on their roster. We had heart-to-heart conversations. We had silly conversations. When I told them my story about surviving that double attempted homicide, there was not one that didn't say that they knew somebody that needed me and that they were going to find me when I when I got out of rehab, that they would find me. I already knew that it was going to be be your incredible self. I have actually reconnected with a couple. The word will get out. It'll spread because they told me that they were going to look for me. And I believe that because they knew somebody that they really loved that needed to hear my story and to have some of the solutions that I offer. That sounds amazing. And so the accident encouraged you to come up with this idea of the nonprofit or you already had that? Yes, that too. Absolutely. Because I wanted to do more than just coach and share my story. Of course, I want to be able to help real time. Like I just had this feeling based on how the nurses and therapists and doctors reacted when I told them about my survival of that double attempted homicide and how they knew people and how I was needed. I started to believe that that was why I was saved. It wasn't about why did I have the accident? It was, oh my God, I had 1% chance of surviving. 1%. Peleando por la vida otra vez. Again, because I couldn't leave my kids without a mom. (laughs) I'm, I'm all they have. So even though they're grown, it was still my motivation. There's my mojo. That lioness of a, of a mother will never leave me. I believe that I was saved because I'm supposed to be sharing with people how to get beyond the trauma mentally and emotionally, how to align yourself and how to take control of what you know your your negative triggers are. How old are your kids now? They're in their 20s. And I can imagine that it was very scary. And I can imagine, well, I actually had a, not a similar situation, but I did have a boyfriend that it was uh, a scary person at times. 
also I, I know the feeling of being cheated off is terrible. So I admired your composure and how you handle it. I was hiding for many years because I didn't want him to know where I was. So I can imagine you also had those feelings and perhaps you were like that as well. Very much so. I try not to say hiding because I a little bit of a trigger for me only because I'm such a people person. Yeah, me me gusta, you know, to be hot happening live, you know, lively, you know, I'm a people person. But I chose, it was a decision that I had to make and feel good about to what I call stay private. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. I like that. Thank you. So I knew that I wasn't going to go home because home is where we met. We have mutual friends. We have mutual people. I wasn't going to allow somebody who almost killed us to know anything about me anymore. You lost all those rights. You lost all those privileges, all of them. For me to stay private, I had to figure out where I was going to go. I wasn't going to stay where we went and I wasn't going to go back home. I figured out a place to go where they have programs where when you are a person of domestic violence, where your address can be held confidential. I made sure that I was able to find out again, what are my rights and how can I keep and maintain privacy, safety and protection all the time. So I chose not to have social media. I chose not to network. I stayed focused on finishing my college degree after my son was born. And after I finally got somewhat settled, grounded, never settled, grounded, <laughs> I, I went back to college. I got us on such a tight routine that I should really have some classes on how to teach moms how to utilize every single second of the clock and still have time for yourself because I freaking sure did it. <laughs> I see that you, again, love to research. So you research the best place to be where you could get the best support and, and the best help. And then you went to college. That's pretty good. Yes, you're a big researcher and never a quitter for sure. Well, thank you. Yeah, I still chalk it up to desperation. You know, I look at what is the difference between being brave and being mm -hmm. courageous? Okay. Being brave is like, oh, almost like a dare, you know, like go jump off the highest diving board. You're like, okay, and you're brave. You're brave enough to do it. But to be courageous, you know, to face it, to go through it, to, to deal with yourself, to deal with reality, to be able to look in the mirror and be okay. That, that takes courage. It takes doing. I don't think I was being courageous. I think I was being brave because the desperation to provide and protect was the only focus. And that focus kept you going without ever thinking one day, I don't know, did you cry a lot thinking I'm by myself, all this is happening to me, or you were just so focused that you didn't have time for these emotions? I, I will be super vulnerable right now and share with you something even deeper than that. When my oldest moved out, she said to me, I really respect and honor everything that you've been through, how you dealt with it, the memories I don't have. She doesn't agree with everything, of course, what kid would. But anyways, <laughs> she said that as much as I was there as that protecting, providing parent, I was not there emotionally. And that is as, as much as she loved that she could reach out and physically touch me, she says she could be laying down next to me in the bed and wouldn't feel emotionally close to me. And so that was a very, very hard nugget to swallow. I get emotional about it now because it, it, it is emotional. You know, when she first said it, I was like, what? What the hell are you talking about? Do you know everything that I've done? And that's, that, that, that's 
what? That's not a form of love. You don't see that as love. And then I had to like, because of her, I became more in tuned of, yeah, there's a lot of things that I didn't cry or let out because I was so focused on having to be this machine. It was, everything was mechanical. There was no time to feel. And and if I did feel, it wasn't changing my situation. So I needed to stick with what was benefiting us, not keeping us stagnant or holding us back. I did take some classes on emotional intelligence. My daughter and I together, we worked through a lot of problems, had a lot of breakthroughs. We have a really solid relationship now. I I wouldn't be doing any of this if I didn't have the blessing of both of my kids. I now teach how to have emotional awareness and how to apply that to equate to emotional intelligence. It's something that we can all have, even if we never had it before. And that was my problem. My problem was that I never had it. Even though I knew what type of mother I wasn't going to be, that was one thing that I didn't think to consider or think. Like, how am I emotionally feeding my kids? Like, I thought that what I was doing was the hardest action of love you could possibly have. I'm here. (laughs) You know, I didn't, my mom wasn't here. My dad wasn't here. I'm here for you. I think it's difficult to get into the middle point there because it could be you don't have any emotions or you can be those moms that are so emotional that the kids have to take over because the parents don't have it together. Being in the middle is, is hard when the situation is, is so difficult. When that's the best as a mother that we know, right? That's right. And that's one of the things that I teach also, not just that if you're worried about the type of mother that you're being, you already are a great one because if you weren't, you wouldn't be worried about it. So give yourself some kudos right there on the spot that you are a great mom because you're concerned about being a great mom. And then for those moms that, that see their children trying to solve their problems, that their children are comforting them. That's where I would like to kind of coach finding that balance to think about how they're emotionally feeding their child. If they are seeing their child doing that, then they're taking on that problem and it's not theirs. As a mom, I wouldn't think that you would want your child to take on your problem. And then for those that are like I was, I would coach them on how to find that balance and teach that emotional awareness. Back then, mental health and all this emotional intelligence and that, that stuff wasn't around. That wasn't a thing. That was swept under the rug or medicated or deemed something else. So happy that it's actually in our faces right now. We should be talking about it. Yes. And then also PTG is new. (laughs) That's why you're bringing it. (laughs) Right. And I love it because I'm not coming in like a doctor talking about it. I'm coming in like testimony because it's what has worked. This is what it is. I'm an example of it. If you get into developing healthy habits, 21 to 28 days, and it becomes a conditioned behavior, you will see such a transformation just right there alone. I know. I learned that in 2020, 2021, but a lot of changes were happening and complain a little bit about it first. And then you're used to, and you're like, oh, actually, I like this. I don't want any changes. And then you fight because you don't want the changes because you already had changes. And so I just realized that we just have to accept and wait a little and it will be fine. And yes, the challenges give us lessons. That's, of course, I don't wish anybody to go through what you went through. And I got it. You went to college and what did you study? Uh, business administration. Okay. So I dropped out of high school as a sophomore. I went back for my GED when my daughter, shortly after she was born, 
And then the last day of GED class, I signed up for my associate's degree. And then I found a university that you don't have to have your complete associates. It's just a program that works you straight through to your bachelor's. I did that. It took me a really long time. I would have to say because of everything I went through in my life during that time, probably took me close to 12 years. What's supposed to take somebody four? Four is full time, right? 12 for me because of moving cross country, almost dying, being homeless, going back cross country, just so much. But I I knew that with a degree, I would be able to get a better paying job and I'd be able to provide for my kids and yada, yada. (sighs) And it happened. So you got a better job? Uh, Well, you know, yes and no. I, uh, I would have to say that I kept going after what I thought I needed because I was, I stayed in survival mode for so long that I didn't develop an actual career path. I just got my degree and said, yippee, let's go. And I ended up just getting what I needed instead of pursuing what I really wanted. And I think that's because I didn't know what I really wanted. I was just so laser focused on providing and making sure that I had a solid paycheck to pay the bills. I was going to make the best of whatever the heck it was. And let's just get to going. So now after my accident and being on my deathbed again, and this time really extreme, I realized that this is my time. This is my time right now. My kids are mentally and emotionally healthy. I have their blessing. And I now I have a story. Well, I've always had the story, but now I'm I am sharing it. Confident. Yeah, confident enough to share it, vulnerable enough to share it. And I just want to help so many, so many others. And so then you decided to do? So then I decided to, (laughs) I'm still with a job that I need to leave because this career needs to take off. The nonprofit is um, ready to go. I just am waiting for the 501c3 status. I have a fully functional program. I am helping real-time victims relocate for their safety without having to leave all their belongings behind. I have sponsors and donors in place for that. And then my coaching career, it is stable. It's just at the place now where I'm coming out and being open with it for it to take off. So once I have those things in place, I will be ready, not two weeks, but two hours. <laughs> <laughs> the nonprofit, what is the name? Confronting Domestic Violence. Okay. Wow. How many nonprofits at the same subjects do you have in the US? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. I am sorting through a lot of them to see who I can collaborate with because I would like to have full out program. My vision is that if I can help relocate the real-time victim, I'm relocating them or they are relocating to a place where this other nonprofit provides training and certification so you can actually have a career and get become uh, financially grounded, you know, that's lessening the stress, you know, the whole move and your financial stability. That's, that's what I'm working on. Also dress for success is another really good nonprofit. They help you with your interview, um, attire and, you know, a couple days worth of professional wear there's, and then there's a few stores that I know are specific to domestic violence where they receive donations. And then there's a very low priced attire in there as well. Very affordable. I'm working through a lot of different nonprofits right now to see when what we can collaborate on. And really right now still focusing on building my branching that program out so I could be helpful in more than one area. I would like to kind of spread out into different states. This way it would be more valuable to collaborate with these other nonprofits in establishing a full out program for these people. Yeah. How do you get this idea of organizing a nonprofit? 
Well, actually, there is something called the Small Business Administration. It's a bunch of volunteers that help regular people like myself start in some sort of venture. If they want to start their own S Corp or C Corp or LLC, or they're trying to get into government contracts, it's an agency where they have the volunteers come in and they teach these classes. So they have marketing classes, QuickBook classes for like 10, 20 bucks. I talked to a free mentor at SBA. And they told me that my idea sounded more like a nonprofit and that I would probably have a better chance that being successful than what I was originally thinking. I marinated and prayed on that for some time. And when I started thinking about the different things that that fall into a nonprofit, I saw it. It was like the whole picture, the whole vision came to play. And I said, okay, I could do this. And I'm telling you right now, the program that I have in place, I have a national company that does background checks. They are supporting my mission. And then I have the moving companies that are going to be doing the relocating and they are supporting my mission. I have a potential translation company that is willing to provide their services. So if they do not speak English or Spanish, they will be able to understand and communicate. And this is without a dollar being donated. (laughs) Wow, incredible. To be able to help somebody, I am so excited. I don't think that I would have been able to do that not being a nonprofit. Yeah, that's true. That's wonderful. And you say a lot about praying. Are you very religious? Um, I I don't want to say religious. I think that's a cliche at this point in the world. Um, But I am very spiritual. I do believe we're all born for a reason. We have a purpose. You know, there's not just greatness. There's also a lot of evil in order for the world to spin the way that it is and for things to happen the way that they do. Both good and evil need to be here. It's that balance. There's no dark without light. There's no big without small. Every single thing has a complete opposite to it. In understanding that, I also believe that it's what we tap into. It's If we can dig deep in our soul, we know that we're here for that, for a purpose, for a reason. For me, I am definitely grounded in that. That keeps me strong. It's a beautiful thing when I see what's happening in the world and I know that it's been written already because I've already read it. So I'm not stressed out and worried about what's going to happen. I already know. Wonderful. (laughs) Okay, perfect. We will put your nonprofit name and information in the show notes as well. And so you are doing the coaching and you're doing the nonprofit and you are helping people just because you're an amazing woman. Your your kids are already older. Any other things that are in the future that you haven't said yet? Uh, Well, you can find me now on Be Your Incredible Self. Be Your Incredible Self is actually my handle on Facebook and Instagram. I really haven't been on social media at all. I've been off social media for the last 25 years. I'm learning this new job. It's a job. (laughs) It's a job, you're right. Yeah, so I'm learning it. Regardless of, you know, me not having the social media presence, it's who you're getting. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it's the wealth of wisdom and the and the energy that I bring to to your life to help you get to that next space and place that you want to get to. Perfect. So we will find you and be incredible self. Thank you. Thank you so much, Agape. I really enjoyed your story and I enjoy very much meeting you. It was lovely and you're just full of so much love and I appreciate what you're doing. But thank you so much and it takes one to know one. Don't forget that. <laughs> Yes. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Take care. Okay, you too. I hope you enjoyed it today's episode. I am Daniela and you were listening to Because Everyone Has a Story. 
Please take five seconds right now and think of somebody in your life that may enjoy what you just heard or someone that has a story to be shared and preserved. When you think of that person, shoot them a text with the link of this podcast. This would allow the ordinary magic to go further. Join me next time for another story conversation. Thank you for listening. Hasta pronto. Hasta pronto.